Welcome, this is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Welcome back to another edition to Dirt to Dollars. It's the week of August the 3rd, and I'm here again this week with uh, Matt in Hardin County and Daniel and LaRue. I'm Whitney hey. and Grayson. How are y'all? Morning. It's already August. I know. That, I can't... It does not feel like August outside. It feels it like mid to late September, if you ask me. It feels amazing outside. Yeah. But and I'm kind of oh. disappointed. Why? So I'm recording from home this morning. I tried to do it on my back porch and you oh. told me my Wi-Fi <laughs> wasn't strong enough. So I had to come back inside. I apologize. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I really am. Cause I would have loved to have been outside too. But oh, if you, if we can't enjoy it, you can't amazing. either. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I don't um, know about you all, but I'm slagging. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of slagging this morning. I am. I'm dragging. I'm uh did I say slagging? I just make up a new word. Slag, yeah. yeah. Hey, we'll use it. We'll take it. Isn't that a welding term? Maybe. Slag. Oh. I don't weld. Slag's a welding term. Look yeah. at you. Well, I'm not welding this morning. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling. That yeah. was my struggling slash dragging slacking. combination. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm not slacking. No, you're not but slacking. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm dragging a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I had to stop and get some breakfast. I had to get a box of Pop-Tarts. I was going to say, I see, you know, obviously the listeners can't see, but we're... When Brown we do sugar this on cinnamon. That's hey, those way, are good. That's the way to go. I ate oatmeal, banana flavored oatmeal with peanut butter this morning. See, that, I know it's good fine. for you, but I just can't. It's like I eat that and I get hungry in 30 yeah. minutes. I know. It's it's a struggle. It's a struggle, especially for me these days because I get hungry pretty quickly. So I'll be snacking before too long. I, got, I, I brought right now peaches are in. So we got some peaches. And so I'll, you know, probably eat one of those here in the next hour or so. <laughs> but that yeah. sounds amazing. Do y'all have oh. a go to if you got to stop at a gas station and grab some breakfast in the morning? What's your, what's your go to? Well, Mine, mine's a six pack of chocolate donuts and a Diet Coke. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, mine's normally a coffee, and if if they've got around home, they've got pretty good breakfast in the local gas station. So I'll fix a, I'll get a sausage biscuit or sausage egg biscuit or something. That's usually what I go for. So first off, the mini donuts in a package are a disgrace to the donut world. Oh, so okay. No, here's a here's a. <laughs> Not secret. everybody has when a you, good one. When it's Christmas time, if you find the donuts that have the Christmas packaging for some reason, they're better. Those are the best. They're, they're, they're the same donuts, but they are they are the best donuts you'll have. And they're not melted because it's a in the winter. Of Christmas so, cheer. All yes. right, Matt. What's, ho, ho, so, what's your so donut my go to? Well. This gets real specific here, but uh, <laughs> if you go west of it, west of us a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, y'all ever heard of a Casey's? Oh yeah, the the gas station yes, convenience yes. store, which mm-hmm. I first got exposed to them uh, travel around, around Iowa, where we uh, have some cattle fed out there. Is I mean, there's one around every corner, and nobody, none of the locals out there ever stop at like a a regular gas station mm-hmm. or a marathon or anything you go to a casey's yeah so it's it's really good food and it's always really clean clean bathrooms everywhere so it's a it's a good stop so uh had to run some corn samples down to princeton last week and uh was uh was thinking the whole way down there i need to stop somewhere on the way and get some gas and whatnot and remember there's a there's a casey's on 
at a Central City exit, I think. So the yeah. best thing about Casey's is they have a fresh donut stand right mm -hmm. there every morning. I'm getting off the exit ramp and it hits me. I wonder if they took the donut stand away because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, they take all this stuff away that's self-serve. So I walk in first thing right there, there's a donut stand. So that's my yeah. go-to. If you're, if you're ever buying Casey's, you got to get a, a good donut or really any, any gas station that has a, has a fresh donut stand there and a, and a bottle of chocolate milk. Yeah, it's, I've heard lots of good things about it. I think I've stopped at that Casey's before, but I don't think I had a donut because it was in the afternoon. So can't say that I've experienced if, that. If they ever venture this far east, I'm going to gain 40 pounds. So <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. So what's new? What do we got going on this week? So Daniel, I think you had to make a little trip to Princeton this last week too, right? Yeah, well, I think uh, a lot a lot of us have in this area. Mm -hmm. Southern Rust is it's everywhere, basically. It's uh, here. It's here, and it's it's it'll be confirmed in my county. Getting I think by the end of the rusty. day. Yeah, yeah. So it'll it's just a matter of getting the confirmation. But I'm the samples that I sent off are most definitely Southern Rust. And seems like it's blowing up pretty quick too. You know what was? Yeah. Yeah. Slight incidents three or four days ago. Mm -hmm. Truly, really blowing up and, and spreading. Speaking of blowing up, have you? Did you all see the the explosion um, yesterday? Awesome segue, by the way. Yeah. Hey, sometimes <laughs> I get it right. To Whitney and Daniel. <laughs> yeah, that's not really something to laugh about. But it's not. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, it was just. It was. I just. It was significant. I guess that was what. And I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is because what they're saying is it was ammonium nitrate that was a that was what was in that building that exploded. And of course we all know, you know, we use that as fertilizer here. Mm, we so. used to, eh, not you, so. can't, you can't even so. get it if you wanted to. And, and I think I've even noticed here, I used to have a problem. There was a lot of UK publications that still had yeah. recommendations of yeah. ammonium nitrate. And I was like, we need to get rid of that. And I, here lately they have, Yeah, it's out. So, you know, now we typically use urea. Urea, which well, is safer. It's safer, and the thing with ammonium nitrate is it was in the ammonia form, so you didn't worry about volatilization, mm -hmm. and now we have coatings and, and right. urease inhibitors and stuff that we can put on the on urea to basically get the same effect that we got with ammonium nitrate. Yeah, mm -hmm. one downside, though, is ammonium nitrate is faster, and urea is, takes a while to be plant available. So that was, you know, there are still some products, and I know, you know, wheat in the last five or six years, I guess we've been using a lot more, um, uh, ammonium sulfate, um, which isn't, doesn't mm -hmm. have the, uh, reactive right. power of, of ammonium nitrate, but it is still a fast, a fast mm -hmm. available nitrogen source that, that we can use in certain times and also gives us a little bit of sulfur, but yeah, yeah um, they, they say it was ammonium nitrate, like 2,700 yeah. tons. Yeah. It's a maybe. lot. Mm -hmm. Will we ever really know what it was? I don't know, but I think that's the best the best guess at this point and i was looking at videos from the west texas explosion here you know seven mm -hmm. eight nine years ago was 27 tons and if you look that mm -hmm. up and see what explosion that was multiply that by is that 100 yep i think so well and another <laughs> thing i saw last night was you can see some silos in the picture and they claim that was like that port's big grain storage facility as well so 
there's some speculation out there that there might have been some grain lost. And, and you all know we've seen some instances across the country the last few years with uh, grain bin fires and grain mm-hmm. dust explosions. Yeah. Uh, so so part of that could have been some grain dust explosion. In yeah. yeah, I'd say the explosion part was probably the ammonium nitrate, but the fire part could have been right could have been from that um, yeah man, that, it's like that that just to see that ball and that mm-hmm. concussive force as it moved across the buildings mm-hmm. and just shattered the windows it was flattened yeah unreal and i think everybody yeah. had the same response <laughs> yeah the first time you're like yeah oh we can. My God. <laughs> if you get on yeah well we can't say it on the podcast but if you get on twitter you can see it <laughs> so yeah it was it was pretty uh it's pretty devastating, but like I said, I, I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was interesting that we talk about chemistry and fertilizer. You know, that's all chemistry. It's all science. And it was amazing to me. I mean, it looked like it was in a downtown area, and they're talking. They're still talking about like dozens mm-hmm. dead. But how was that not hundreds or thousands? Yeah. When you oh, I think it's up to like hundreds, and I'm sure by the time you know a few more days pass, yeah. you know, we're on the fifth today recording, but. It'll be it'll be a lot more. And it's mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody could survive being yeah. in that in that area. What about um, the article that came out late last week about dicamba resistant Palmer in Tennessee? Do we know any more information about that? I don't know that, that didn't take long. <laughs> uh, well, no, right? And I, I believe, of course, we had our grain meeting yesterday morning. I guess with the grain specialist and you know Travis. Leg lighter. Of course, we've had him as a guest on the podcast. He was saying, you know, when you somebody asked him, well, how did it become more? How did it become that way? And he said, well, when you use it for four straight years, it develops resistance. It's a plant. It's going to, you know, morph. And so he, they said they were expecting it. And I don't know much and more information other than that. Isn't that a thing with that was a reason for the 2,4-D resistant crops is I think 2,4-D is one of the like lowest risk of mm-hmm. uh, lowest risk products of developing resistance that we have. I mean, yeah. it's been around forever and there's not a whole, I yeah. don't know that. I yeah, don't, I don't wanna, know of anything. I don't want to say that there's nothing cause there might right. be something out there, but yeah. I don't know of anything. To Some of that's the way it kills plants. I'd yeah. imagine. Cause yes. the way it, and I think I'm correct here. I'm not mm-hmm. claiming to be a pesticide specialist, but doesn't two, four day, move its product to the roots like yes. whereas roundup doesn't always do that mm-hmm. um so that that may be part of the reason just it's a contact work. it's a contact herbicide is what i tell people you know it's got yeah they, they're contact but mm-hmm. but it moves that I yeah don't know. well it's a growth inhibitor yes right yeah growth, well, regulator. growth regulator regulator mm-hmm. well and then it's just it's going to be interesting to see which i mean we're lucky and i know the guys in western kentucky are spot you know, they're checking and everything, but you know, at this point you shouldn't be spraying any of that at this point. You know, we should be, if we're seeing weeds this point of Palmer and water hemp and some of that best case scenario, you just need to get a hoe and get out there and get them. You know, they're anything you spray well, yeah, them at this point is going to be too tall. Well, and our cutoff it. date was July 15th yeah. on dicamba anyway. Well, yes it was, but like I said, <laughs> at this point you probably just need to get a hoe and yeah, go out there and take care of it <laughs> after july 15th it wasn't dicamba it was dicanta yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh 
listen to what I put up with you all. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I know our specialists have their eyes and ears open on this and they've been watching, watching for it anyway. They were expected. Yeah. Speaking of putting up with pests like me, <laughs> have you all seen about this new tick? I have. Yes. I haven't had anybody to really, you know, call in or ask about it, but when we put a post about it on our Facebook, it got a lot of, got a lot of, uh, clicks and, and people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, talking about it. Uh, what's it, do y'all remember what it's called? I think it's the, is it the murder tick? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite uh, as catchy of a name. Asian longhorn tick. Well, ancient longhorn yeah. tick. Yes. Yes. Yeah, man. I was looking so, it up. So does and, it have like a, does it look like a longhorn steer? Have a big set of horns? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It really just kind of <laughs> looks like a, a tick to me. I mean, I, you know, it does, it's just kind of a regular looking tick, but um, they say they're aggressive biters. Mm-hmm. I thought all ticks were pretty aggressive when they bite. That's how they, my kids, that's how they, they live. Um, yeah. So, but they haven't found any on people yet. They've, they found, I think it was on an animal in Metcalf County. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a, uh, may have been a cow that was covered up in them. Um, that's getting kind of close to home. It is. It's, it's not it far is, away. Uh-huh. Um, but I still don't think they found them on individuals, but they have found them on animals, including, uh, you know, wildlife, other wildlife, coyotes, mm-hmm. foxes, sheep, goats, all that yeah. stuff. So it's one thing to keep an eye out for. They say it's uh, kind of reddish brown, doesn't have distinctive markings like some no. of your Lone Star ticks and some of those can have. Yeah. Um, but they're small. So that's another reason that they're yeah. hard to find. And I'm wondering yeah. if you could be, if it could be misconstrued for a deer tick because they are so small, you know, probably and look, and look a lot. Yeah. Very, mm-hmm. look very similar. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you were to come across one like that, just, you might put it in a Ziploc bag if you can, but the best way to not get them on you is to treat your clothes with permethrin, mm-hmm. a permethrin type spray. And I think if you want to spray on your skin, it's a DEET. Mm-hmm. Deep product is mm-hmm. that good for ticks? I know it's good for mosquitoes. Yeah, I think, I think it, it's good for ticks too. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say deep gets a bad rap, but yes, you're right. It's a it's it's a good it's a good spray. Any any. It's kind the of, only one for you can use for children. I think. Yes. It's deep. So we've just make sure you're taking care. Of course, I mean it's just like any other tick. Just spray and. Yeah, you don't want to get any of them. No. Uh, but but this one I think is. Uh, it's a little, it's new. And of course, mm-hmm. when you get something new come in, it's always worrisome because we don't know how I mean, what things will, will react we, to it. What will we think of next, right? <laughs> you know, we talked earlier about how it's already August, but you know, I'm kind of glad it's August. Let's just go ahead and roll on through the rest of this year, hopefully. <laughs> and <laughs> Come on, 2021. So, uh, The one yeah. positive thing about it, we talked about the good weather earlier. Yeah. Uh, it's been still great for the crops. We're adding mm-hmm. bushels this week i know uh chad lee put a thing on uh, his twitter this morning that said this these conditions are perfect for blister fill and you know perfect for corn so i'm we're that'll be so good have you us. all have you all been out much and pulled many ears or anything on some of this corn what what's everything looking like i hadn't pulled any ears Not i've yet. been looking at leaves mm-hmm i'll say though from what i'm what i'm seeing it's well and even the the report crop report saying we're having a good to excellent crop year at this point. So I'm hoping that it stays that way. Now, once again, uh, you, you hear wives tales about the long silks and that sort of thing about how it, you know, <laughs> it may not be, uh, there's some sort of story about if you have long silks that it 
you know, maybe it's not very good for reproduction, but I don't, I haven't seen any of that yet. So I'll be interested. To- I've, uh, I've been out and pulled a few ears and it's, it's surprised me. I mean, it's good and it's consistently good, mm-hmm. but it's maybe surprised me a little bit about, um, you're seeing some tip back when you pull some in, mm-hmm. uh, seeing a few blanks, uh, I think just with some just random pollination issues, uh, I think that heat may have knocked yes. a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this weather this week, we're going through grain fill on most of this corn crop and mm-hmm. I, it'll more than make up for it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should be interesting to see. Uh, yeah. was with a group of farmers yesterday. We had our rinse and return program in Hardin County this week. Uh, and we were kind of talking about crop conditions and, you know, driving down the road, the soybean crop looks amazing because they're mm-hmm. tall and, uh, you know, you can always farmer mindset, find some pessimism in there somehow yeah. to not get too positive about it. But <laughs> there was a, a lot of talk of, well, maybe it's just going to be all vine and the yield's not going to be there and hadn't had enough sunshine. And I mean, we can always find excuses for, for some of the years where the, the beans look pretty. They don't yield. As that's good. right. That's right. Yeah. But, well, I mean, if you think about it, like you said, sunlight growing, growing degree days, if you've got a lot of rain, like we've had has been good. But if when you have rain, you have clouds, so you don't have that sunshine on them. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. But It'll be- people I've talked to that have been out in some of these early planted beans, especially they're seeing a lot of pods and a yeah. lot of yeah. four bean pods, mm-hmm. uh, more than usual, but, uh, you know, they're not filled yet. They could still abort a bean or two in there and, mm-hmm. and kick back. But if we keep getting rain through August to uh, just watch out, but, yeah. uh, and the markets have reflected that the last few days and last couple of weeks too. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you know, Tuesday the fourth, I guess, was a pretty painful day and and the commodity markets. So we were yeah. <laughs> double digit down on the soybeans and and down significantly on corn too. Mm-hmm. It looks like corn's at three oh nine this morning from based on what I've seen. So it'll be and then yeah, beans are at eight something. So woo. Yeah. Fun days. Fun days ahead. <laughs> so we're going to need the bushels. Yes, we are. That Bring is true. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got bushels of tomatoes. I'm yes. covered up. We are too. I've had tomatoes with like every meal. <laughs> hey, that's something I've craved. So I'm, I love Do you need some? Tomatoes. I'll send I, some I to you. <laughs> I've got plenty. My I've got goodness. plenty. Yeah. Between my, ours and my in-laws and my sisters and all my grandparents, they're, they're keeping us in tomatoes. We're, we're in good shape. And if you don't have the stuff to can them with, then you ain't going to get it because mm-hmm. evidently you need some cannon lids. Well, you just, you're out of luck. We, we canned pickles over the weekend and it was. Do you like pickles? I love pickles. Are I you craving pickles. them more now? No, I, no, I'm not craving them anymore now than I was. I I did with my daughter, but that I had to have the spice. You know, that you can get the Mrs. Wages, the spicy dill pickle mix, and we canned a bunch of those, and I completely wiped out our <laughs> reserves. But we did that this weekend, and it was a good thing I had some jars stocked up and saved up because we don't, you know, we could not find them anywhere. Mm. You know, my kids eat a lot of pickles and we always sing the little, little rascals. I got a pickle song. I got a pickle. I got a pickle. That one. Hey, 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 hey. Yep. 
we we're a pickle family too we're that's our that's a go-to snack for our family it's, pickles gross me out yeah i'm not saying that i really like them but yeah we like it makes me gag them. when i smell them really drink yeah. a big glass of pickle juice listen my kids oh see i'll drink pickle juice especially when i have cramps for sure no, we used to keep that. a jar of pickle juice behind the basketball bench whenever uh we were in high school because well i mean i was the manager i didn't play basketball but the, i would keep it because the girls would cramp and that was the quickest way to get potassium back into them i'll drink a gatorade i ain't drinking pickle juice <laughs> like, right. well y'all are missing out so now we have we we like pickles but like you said we've got plenty of cucumbers and plenty of garden vegetables i will say green beans haven't come along quite like i thought they would but we're, green beans don't like the water no so we'll probably not have as many of those but everything else seems to be going pretty good <clears throat> And that's your weekly garden update. Yep. <laughs> Go to your farmer's market if you don't have a garden, because I'm sure they're, they've got plenty of produce. Ours does. And if you need ideas other than canning to preserve your, your garden produce, contact mm -hmm. your local county extension office. Yeah. So, yes, growing conditions on soybeans, like we talked about, have been really good. Obviously, we're seeing disease in corn, uh, but we haven't really been talking much about disease in, in soybeans. So mm -hmm. um, I think we got a guest coming up with us here uh, to uh, discuss that. Uh, Matt, you want to give him an introduction? All right. So now we have with us Dr. Carl Bradley. He is the extension plant pathologist out of the uh, Grain and Forge Center of Excellence in Princeton. Uh, thanks for being with us, Dr. Bradley. My pleasure. So uh, uh, you're—I don't guess we'd consider you new. You've been here a few years now and kind of got your got your feet wet. But you were kind of one of the first of many hires at that Princeton Princeton Center uh, when we had the big Forge and Grain Center of Excellence kind of begin. Uh, you want to tell just a little bit about yourself and kind of your your history and and how you got here? Sure, Matt. Um, so yeah, I, I I still feel a little bit new, I guess. Here at here at UK, at least I I've been here for five years now, so I started in uh, July first, twenty fifteen, um, and so I have uh, extension uh, responsibilities and research responsibilities in disease management of soybeans and small grain crops. Um, I'm originally from southeastern Illinois, so actually I grew up just about an hour and a half from from where I work now at Princeton, so so pretty close to where I'm from originally. Um, I uh, was a faculty member at North Dakota State University for five years, and then uh, I went back to my home state, the, the University of Illinois, where I was an extension plant pathologist there for um, about eight years. And then um, in 2015, I moved moved to, moved down to Kentucky, and um, so now I, I work on, uh, as I said, diseases of, of soybean and wheat. Um, and uh, Kentucky is a pretty good place to do that because we certainly do have some diseases of, of uh, all those crops. So, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're blessed with humidity here. <laughs> blessed. <laughs> kind of helps that out, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Well, and, uh, I, I just want to point out, we kind of make it a, a competition here. We like to brag about how many specialists we've stolen from high state universities in the last five or six mm -hmm. years. So, so, so you're one of those we can brag on. <laughs> Yep, there's been a few of us. Yep. 
Well, that's, that's right. And so what is, what is corn or what is corn? What is soybean progress uh, look like down your all's way? I know you all have got several research plots down at your, at the station and, and how are those looking and kind of what's going on with, with those down there? Sure. Well, we've had quite a bit of rain here in Western Kentucky. Um, and so crops look pretty good. Um, there was an opportunity to, to plant pretty early um, for, for my research trials, but also, you know, farmers as well. Um, so one of the things that, that we tried to do, we, I, I worked on sudden death syndrome, Mm -hmm. some as that's one of the the diseases I work on. One of the things that we, we do, we, so as a plant pathologist, we try to get diseases, right? right? Because we, we don't get the disease. We are, you know, our research doesn't mean much. So, um, we tried to plant really early in our, in our SDS or sudden death syndrome trials. So we were able to plant that first week of April this year. Um, and, um, now we're developing really good symptoms in some of my, my SDS trials, uh, here on the station. Which, like you said, you like to see, so that'll be good, which helps us as farmers, uh, later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the things we're doing, we're evaluating mm-hmm. seed treatments um, for, for SDS control. And um, fortunately, we have um, a couple of different seed treatments that are now registered um, and both have really good efficacy uh, against SDS. So, you know, the interesting thing is uh, for SDS, you don't see symptoms early, even though it's a, a seed treatment. Uh, one of these, so it's either Saltro or Olivo or the seed treatments mm-hmm. that I'm talking about. Um, and of course, seed treatments we think of uh, protecting against uh, pathogens that might infect very early. And that's what happens with this SDS pathogen. But you don't see symptoms until mm-hmm. later on. So we just started seeing symptoms probably a couple of weeks ago, um, which is kind of interesting because, um, you know, with the symptoms that you see, um, it's all in mm-hmm. the foliage. But the pathogen that's causing this disease, which is a fusarium pathogen, it's all down in the root area. So it's actually producing mm-hmm. toxins that, that move up um, uh, into the upper part of the plant. And that's where you're seeing those symptoms. And I'm sure uh, you all have seen this and probably many of the people that are gonna um, listen to this have seen it as well. But just as a reminder, uh, in regards to symptoms of SDS, um, what you're gonna see first is maybe some flecking of the leaves, just some light, kind of light yellow flecking that might occur there. Later on, those, those flecks are going to turn into larger yellow areas, and those are always going to be between the main veins of mm-hmm. the soybean leaf. So we call that intervenal chlorosis. That means it's yellowing between the, between the veins. Eventually, those, the yellow areas will, will die, um, and so you'll have dead areas between the veins, and those veins will still be green. And so we call that intervenal necrosis, dead, dead mm-hmm. tissue between the leaves. So what will happen um, eventually is those, those leaves yeah. will fall off, but those petioles will stay attached. So that's another uh, way to, to see that you have SDS or not, if those petioles remain. But, uh, you know, if you're going to do anything about it, now is not <laughs> the time to do it, even though now is when we're seeing symptoms. So, you know, the, the first thing is, is picking varieties that have a high level of resistance. Uh, Especially if you, if, you know, if you're really pushing those planting dates, uh, because we see, you know, early planting is, is generally a, a higher risk for SDS. That's because it takes longer for that seed to germinate 
in those cool soil conditions and this fusarium pathogen does okay mm -hmm. in these in these cool soil conditions and and the longer it takes for that seed to germinate the more opportunity um, that fungus has to go ahead and, and affect those those little tiny roots those radicals that are coming out of the I think, seed. I think that's important to know um, too because we did have a lot of people plant mm -hmm. early beans and seem to be pleased with how they're doing and mm -hmm. I, I could see that as a trend that, that continues and that's something that we need to keep in mind is that they mm -hmm. are at, at higher risk for SDS um, issues. What what are some other things? Uh, is is crop rotation? Isn't that another way to to break up the disease cycle with SDS? Actually, with SDS, crop crop rotation may have mm -hmm. some effect, but it's not as large of an effect as we might see with some other other diseases. Uh, this fungus can actually colonize some of the corn residue that that uh, that's in the soil as well. So it's kind of a tricky one, but the main thing is. Resistant varieties, that's your, your top one. It's, again, you know, especially if you know you're going to be planting early. Um, and also those seed treatments I mentioned, right, those would be kind of the top two things for, for managing SDS. So are you seeing any other foliar diseases? And I know, like you said, you're looking for those, but I mean, are there any that have been um, prevalent among the, the, the plots down there that you're seeing that we need to? Well, we've had really good, sorry, we okay. didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, we, we, we have, we've had really good conditions for foliar diseases. Um, you know, we've been very human. I mean, today's oh, an exception. It's really beautiful, beautiful outside right now. But as you know, um, the last several weeks you walk outside and, and you're, you're sweating <laughs> immediately. So, um, you know, those, those high, that high, hum high relative humidity, warmer temperatures. And then, you know, we've mm -hmm. had a lot of rain in Western Kentucky as well. So uh, all those things, contribute to, to fairly high risk for some of these foliar pathogens. And we're starting to just see a few symptoms in some of my trials. I, I think, um, you know, I try to choose varieties that are susceptible for my foliar mm -hmm. fungicide trials because we want to get good results. But I think I maybe chose one that's a little, has a little bit more resistance this year. So I'm not seeing as much disease as I thought I might, but I know we've certainly mm -hmm. had conditions. Um, you know, frog eye leaf spot, that's the mm -hmm. one I usually am most concerned mm -hmm. with in regards to foliar diseases. Um, and that's very common, um, you know, in, in, in throughout mm -hmm. Kentucky. Um, and, and I, you know, I, we're concerned about that one because, you know, we've done a lot of, I did a lot of work with that while I was in Illinois and I've continued to do, do work on that pathogen here in Kentucky. And, and we can see if you, if you have a lot of disease that it actually can cause pretty fair amount of yield loss. So one of the things to think about would be, you know, foliar fungicides for management of a frog eye leaf spot. So when you're out scouting for a frog eye leaf spot, what are some things to look for? What's kind of some telltale signs to just tell producers to look for to know they have frog eye and what levels of, uh, of severity do you, do you need to look at? decide to make that fungicide application? Yeah, great question. Um, and and there, unfortunately, there's not uh, solid economic thresholds for a lot of our foliar diseases. Part of the problem, Matt, is um, you, the, you have infections that occur that you don't see symptoms. And once you see symptoms, sometimes um, if the symptoms are too far gone, you know, you, you, you spray a fungicide, but there's already some damage there. So it's a little trickier 
making those decisions when we're thinking about foliar diseases. So I usually, I, I think of it as kind of a two-parter. Scouting is, is part of that. Um, and, and, you know, in most situations, you're going to probably start seeing frog eye leaf spots show up um, about when that canopy starts to close. Um, and that usually happens right around flowering, um, seems to at least. So, you know, right when you, you know, if you're looking at that field and you no longer see much space uh, between the rows, that's probably a good time to, to start scouting. And, um, you know, you would want to go through, you'd want <clears throat> to open up the canopy, push, push back some plants. You can't do this from the highway. You, you actually have to get out there and look. And, uh, and, and start looking at the bottom leaves, you know, mid leaves and upper leaves. Usually with frog eye uh, leaf spot, we're going to see it start to come in kind of the, the younger leaves is, is what it tends to infect first, or it, it always infects younger leaves, I guess I should say. Um, <clears throat> and so that's what you want to be looking for. And, and normally um, R3, uh, when you're just starting to have uh, uh, little baby pods starting to develop, that's usually about the time when you, if you're going to make an applica application, kind of around that R3, maybe R4 window is kind of what we look look at. Um, so scouting is important, but uh, risk is also a big part of it. Um, there's actually um, um, a website uh, called IWillTakeAction.com. Okay. Uh, this Take Action program started uh, in regards to herbicide mm -hmm. resistance, and it's now taken on fungicide resistance. So there are a few of us that we kind of help develop um, some um, resources that are on that website. And one of those is a soybean disease scorecard. Okay. And that you can use that to uh, kind of gauge your risk. So there's some questions on there that you would, you would answer and would, you'd sign up points for different things. And so it's things like crop rotation. You know, if it's continuous soybean, then your risk would be higher. Um, a variety is extremely important. There's some varieties that are highly resistant to frog eye leaf spot, but we still have a lot that are fairly susceptible. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you know you have, if you pick one that was fairly susceptible, you know, that would add more points to it. Weather yeah. is a big part of it. So, um, you know, those are kind of the things that you would want to gauge as far as risk as well, and then, then make those decisions. And I know, uh, reproductive stage has a lot to do with the timing of making those applications. At what point uh, are the beans usually too far along that, you know, if you start to see disease that you're, you're wasting your money basically to spray? A lot, a lot of it has to do with when the disease is coming in. Um, I, I can tell you that we have evaluated some different timings in some of our research trials. Um, we've looked at R1. Uh, which is, you know, beginning flowering, R3, which is the stage we just talked about, those, those pods, and then R5, which is um, uh, seed development. Um, we do find that if you, um, R3 tends to, if you look at all of our data, R3 usually measures out to be about the, the best timing. If you're, if you're going to see a benefit, uh, you, you, might, you might see the biggest benefit with R3, and then it just starts to kind of, that benefit will start to kind of, um, won't be as hot as great uh, the later you spray. Um, that being said, there, there have been a few times where we have seen a slight benefit spraying at R5. Um, but in most cases, I would try to, if you were going to make an application, I would try to do it before R5. Um, because we've seen, you know, we've even seen some disease control at R5, but um, 
you know, the, the, the amount of, of uh, yield benefit is usually not going to be as great as what you might see if you spray. We've had a, a wide range of planting dates in this area. You know, like you mentioned in Western Kentucky, we had had kind of a window in early April here that some people went out and got some soybeans planted. Uh, and then that stretched out for the guys with a wheat crop on double crops uh, this summer with it being so wet. You know, we had people planting double crops up until the 10th or 15th of July. Uh, what what do you see in, in later planted beans or double crop beans? Do you see any benefit to fungicide application or, or is the disease risk a little lower in those so crops? We, I think it's kind of a mixed bag is what we've seen. Uh, just looking back at all the double crop foliar fungicide trials that I've conducted um, in Southern Illinois, as well as in Western Kentucky, um, we, we sometimes see a benefit and sometimes we don't. And it, it usually does come down to the amount of disease that, that occurred. Um, so that, that scorecard I was talking about, um, one of the questions on there is, is it late planted soybeans? And, and if it is, then that gives you a few more points towards high risk. Um, however, um, I think there's a certain point in time if you plant late enough that often because of the weather, I think, I mean, it seems like with double crop beans, this, and this year may be an exception, but with double crop beans, we kind of run out of water sometimes, right? It, seem, it seems like, mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. and the conditions sometimes are not as favorable for infection. But the reason that the risk is higher is because there's a lot more inoculum present at that time. So there'd be a lot more spores of like the frog eye leaf spot fungus mm -hmm. that would be present. So the risk is higher, but it has a lot, has a lot to do with the weather. And so, you know, in those years where all of a sudden it kind of just dries up and our, our, our double crop beans are sort of relying on whatever moisture happened, you know, back in, uh, in June and, and maybe the beginning of July, probably not going to see much of a benefit because there may not be much disease. But if it does continue to rain throughout, then, you know, more likely to see a benefit um, with the foliar fungicide on double crop beans. Mm -hmm. And we've had some, you know, I've had some really good yields on double crop beans here. Um, this all depends on how quickly you were able to get them planted, you know, how quickly you get your wheat harvested and get in there and plant. And, uh, but I've had, gosh, was it like 2017, um, I think? I had, I had 70 bushel mm -hmm. double crop beans in Princeton. I had to, yeah, I had to That's double fantastic. test, like, this can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> but I looked, and it actually yielded greater than our, our full season beans that year. That, I mean, that was just an odd year, but, you know, that uh, showed you, I guess in 2017, yeah. I, I can't remember, but we must have had, we obviously had pretty good moisture, uh, at least in, in Princeton, mm -hmm. uh, for, to help us go ahead and fill out those double crop beans. So that would have been a year maybe you might have seen a, more of a response. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to, speaking of yield limiting um, and yield bumping, I'm going to switch gears off fungicides for a second. I know you all are doing a, a pretty significant study on soybean cyst nematode and wanted to see where you all were on that. I know you've been in my county, you've been in several counties that have had uh, where there's a lot of bean on bean uh, rotation. And so what, you know, where are we at on that research and what are, what are you telling producers at this point to be aware of? So um, one of the things that we're doing, um, of course, with soybean cyst nematode, we consider that, you know, the, mm -hmm. actually the greatest pest of soybean because it causes so much yield loss. And mm -hmm. it, um, 
it can cause yield loss and you may not even see any symptoms. So that's one of the things that, I mean, right. part of the, the, what we're trying to do is just try to awake, <laughs> wake up growers about this again. <laughs> I mean, there's been obviously mm -hmm. a lot of farmers are real, you know, know, know about soybean system nematode, but I think part of the problem is, you know, you, you might, you might, even if you're rotating, you're probably growing a resistant variety, right? Um, but yields can sometimes mm -hmm. just sort of plateau, you know, if you can't seem to get up to that next level. And that's where we think soybean systematode is involved with that. So even if you're not seeing any symptoms, mm -hmm. and even if you're, you're doing, you know, a lot of things to help manage it, it can still be a problem. So one of the things we've seen is with our resistant varieties, they all use um, pretty much the same source of resistance here in Kentucky for the maturity groups that we grow. Mm -hmm. um, they're all using this source of resistance. It's called the PI88788 source of resistance. Mm -hmm. And so that's been used for over 20 years. And so, you know, what's going to happen when you use the same thing for 20 years? Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 gets, yeah. gets developing resistance. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Resistance that's exactly to the resistance. Right, yeah. yeah. So it, it, even though it still works, it does, it, in a lot of cases, it doesn't work as well as it used to because those that soybean systematone has has evolved to become um uh, you know it's adapted to be able to do a little bit better against that source of resistance so that's one of the things we're seeing mm -hmm. but uh, the biggest thing we're doing whitney is trying to trying to get growers to test their fields um so that we mm -hmm. have a better idea of what kind of populations are out there and you mentioned soybean on soybean that would be a situation where you know we would we would suspect that populations of soybean system nematode would would be a, a little bit higher in that in that situation right so um the kentucky soybean board has um generously agreed to to pay for uh some um free samples and uh, of course all of you the mm -hmm. county extension agents are, are part of this program and um you know we, we just asked the farmers to check with all of you about um this free sample program and um, of course, there is a limit to it. Um, it's not it's not unlimited. That mm -hmm. that that would be pretty expensive. But uh, of course, we've allotted a certain number of samples to each county. But, but and, you know, we've talked. There's always some flexibility on that where we could bump up some of those as well. But um, mm -hmm. so it's a great way to to uh, you know see what kind of populations are out in your field. Just from some of the data that we have so mm -hmm. far, um, right now. Um, the, I have more data, but I haven't summarized it. But, the, but from the last time I summarized it, um, about 35% of the fields that we've tested so far would have pop, soybean systematode populations um, that would be at least a medium risk of um, yield loss. So, you know, mm -hmm. a third, of, about a third of the field. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's pretty significant mm -hmm. if you ask me especially for farmers that don't, you know, that they wonder why they're having the yield loss and the, the and they're not sure what, and they're trying everything with, with the kitchen sink and they can go back to that. Yeah. And start I testing. should also promote something while I'm on here as well. Um, <laughs> sure. So, go uh, ahead. Go the soybean nematode coalition, SCN coalition. Um, that's something that uh, Kentucky's mm -hmm. a part of, and it's a multi-state, uh, multi-university as well as industry kind of uh, uh, initiative that, um, um, we're we're all coming together to try to help farmers better understand uh, the risk of soybean system nematode, as well as as trying to put out some more uniform messaging on, on how to manage uh, the the problem. But um, 
it has a website, mm -hmm. so it's the thescncoalition.com. I think it's okay. .com. <laughs> if you if you if you just Google, mm -hmm. you know, SCN Coalition, you'll, it'll it'll take you there. But there's some really good information there, uh, talking about um, you know why it's still a problem and you know the whole thing about resistant varieties um, and how some of these populations can still cause the problem. All, a lot of good information there. Yeah. All right. We'll try to get that on so our I wanna, podcast. So I want to jump back to uh, fungicides real quick before we have to wrap up. Uh, you know, you mentioned resistance earlier. Are there any certain active ingredients that farmers need to be watching as far as resistance and maybe trying to, to get away from uh, to, to try and fight this resistance yeah, on some of these great diseases? Yeah, question. I'm glad, glad you brought that up because um, that is an important thing that's happening. Um, so there, so far, uh, we've documented a couple of different pathogens in Kentucky that have resistance to the strobilurin fungicides. One of those is the frog eye leaf spot pathogen. It's known as Cercospora sogena is the name of that fungus. Uh, it has resistance to uh, strobilurin fungicides. And we've also seen the septoria brown spot pathogen um, also has resistance to strobilurin fungicides. Although we haven't documented it in Kentucky yet, the target spot pathogen um, in some states has developed resistance to the strobilurin fungicides. So that's another one to watch out for. If you notice, I said the same chemistry class every time, right? So the strobilurins mm -hmm. would be the one that, uh, where we've already documented resistance. Um, that particular class of chemistry has kind of a high risk for uh, fungi developing resistance to it. So that's one that um, we never would want to apply just by itself. Uh, it may still have some benefit in a mixture, but uh, by itself, we wouldn't want to do that. So those would be things like, you know, back when farmers were first uh, kind of thinking about fungicides on soybean, probably what, about 15 years ago now, maybe? Things like headline or mm -hmm. quadris, those would be just straight strobilurin fungicides. And we don't see very many of those used anymore. Most products are going to contain multi um, uh, active ingredients mm -hmm. from different chemistry classes. So, um, you know, it's important if you're going to spray a fungicide that it, it, it has several, has, you know, many um, active ingredients from different chemistry classes. And um, even though, you know, for some of the other chemistry classes we're using right now, we haven't documented any resistance, but um, one of the things, one of the ways to help slow down resistance developing is to always use active ingredients from different chemistry classes. So fortunately, the companies have kind of responded by, you know, marketing products that, that do contain two or three um, different active ingredients in them. Right. And it seems like the companies have brought out a lot of different options the last couple of years, some, some newer products that, that mm -hmm. uh, we haven't previously had, right? Yeah, we bas so basically, in, for, in regards to foliar fungicides, we, we have about four different classes of fungicides now that are being utilized to some degree. The big ones are the, the strobilurins we just talked about, uh, but the triazoles would be another one. That's, that's another pretty big one. And then we've kind of seen rolled out recently this other class called the SDHIs. I'm not, it's, that's short, abbreviated for something, <laughs> and I'm not going to try to pronounce what it stands for because I'll... I'll blow it here. Um, but the SDHIs is, is kind of the newer group that we're seeing rolled out as well. 
And then there's also the benzimidazoles that some of the products are util utilizing some of those as well. But, um, but the big three are probably the triazoles, SDHIs, and um, the uh, strobilurins are kind of what we see in a lot of products now. All right. Well, that'll about wrap it up for our interview with uh, Dr. Carl Bradley. We appreciate you coming on and joining us this morning. I guess we're taping it in the morning and uh, we appreciate all you guys do down there. We know you work hard and you all try your best to provide us farmers uh, in the area with the most accurate research information we can get. And we appreciate that. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure being on. Yep. Thanks, Thanks Carl. See you. Thanks. So that was some really great conversation with Dr. Bradley there. Uh, I know that's some pretty timely things. I, I noticed this week I've started seeing some sprayers running in, in some of these uh, beans that are entering the reproductive stages. So uh, fungicide starting to go on now and just mm -hmm. some, some stuff to watch. And uh, just a real quick note, we're going to put all of those websites he mentioned in the podcast description. So, if, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, take a look at that description. They all should be in there. Uh, if you're listening to it on the radio, look Holler it up on, on yeah, the look description at Facebook. or just give us you know, a call. Our offices yeah. have Facebook pages, and we tend to share uh, links to the show on there, so we'll have it on yeah. those on those posts. All right. Well, well it's a nice week. It's we got some nice weather. What do y'all – y'all got anything working on this weekend? I know you're going to baseball games. I was going to say, I know it's my life it's for the next couple of weeks. I think, I think I might we'll finally, I might finally get done uh, clipping pastures. <laughs> <I'll say> this. <laughs> it's been this, three or four week project. Yeah. But this I may is, get done this week. This weather, man, has really got me in the mood for bait or for football. So I really hope that we're, you know, that's, that's around the corner for us. I'm, I'm hoping that's something I can look forward to. All right. So we talked about a lot today. Uh, think we had a really great show there and some good in insight and some good knowledge so uh we'll catch you all next week with what's new in our in the world of extension and agriculture in central kentucky all right we'll see you guys next week all right sounds good see you